0: Hello again. In um, this podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit about wildlife conservation and just approach it from a different perspective, because wildlife uh, conservation, uh, when people think about saving wildlife, they're normally thinking about saving the animals. But there are a couple of other aspects to this. Now, um, one of them is the environment that they're in. And one of the issues around the environment is encroachment by people. And um, obviously, this is something that's happened all over the world. And where the species are becoming endangered is where their environment has been um, overtaken. It's been um, converted to farmland or maybe even built on. So the activities of human expansion are having an impact on wildlife. So that's one that you probably have thought about. It's not a particularly um, subtle one. But there is another one, and that's how wildlife interact with local people. And what I'm particularly thinking of there is the economic aspects of it. So obviously one economic aspect that's fairly obvious is poaching. And People who get involved in poaching, the local people who get involved in poaching, or the, at least the people who um, d- d- know the land, they often do it because there isn't alternative work for them, they've got other people to support. It may be that the kind of money they're being offered is just completely outside of what they could expect to earn any other way. So there are environmental, uh, sorry, economic um Issues that need to be thought about when um, when looking at the impacts of poaching. But it actually goes beyond that. And I've said in other, uh, at least in one other podcast, that one of the reasons a lot of local people, first of all, don't care about the wildlife so much, and in fact, in some cases would like to get rid of it, is because they see on their TV the kind of lifestyle that those of us who are lucky enough to live in the West, in uh, the uh, what's known as developed nations, um, they see that the kind of lifestyle we have, and they want it, and, and why wouldn't they? So they see animals as just something that gets in the way. So they don't feel the same drive, if you like, to protect them that we might have when we're a nice, comfortable distance away from the animals, and living in our nice, comfortable homes, in our nice, comfortable environment. So there's a different perspective, depending on your, uh, the economic situation that you're in, and where you live. Now, something that it's important to understand, and this was something that became apparent when I was uh, volunteering in Zimbabwe, is that Obviously, what some of these wildlife, or in fact, what most of these wildlife uh, lodges and, and the, the tourism side of things does is to give local people employment. But what you have to remember, and isn't perhaps very obvious, is that for every person that's employed, there'll be other people who are dependent on their employment. And this this could be as many as 20 or 30 people that that one person, through their employment, is actually supporting. So this is where the realities of being a poor country and living in a poor country come in. And this is where they're very different to the experience that most of us, certainly most of us listening to this podcast, would experience day to day. And I was even talking to somebody in Victoria Falls on um, uh, one occasion, just chatting, and uh, this person was saying, that a job had become available and there'd been an absolute stampede to get it. And it wasn't unknown for on occasion for someone to be murdered so that somebody else could take their job. So this this is pre-COVID. So um, the situation in these countries can be pretty desperate. A lot of them don't have any kind of welfare to look after those who can't get employment, those who are struggling and that means the gloves are off in many cases. And this is where um, you get this descent into violence, you get this descent into a situation where somebody can be murdered so that somebody else can t- can take their job. And obviously that impacts not only that person, but the people that they're supporting too. So this is why I think a couple of things are very important. One of them is work that was being carried out by um, the Kana um, National Park in India. Now, um, Kana is where I went and photographed tigers at the beginning of 2018. And the reason I mention Kana is that what they have done, what the, the people running this national park have done, is to create employment for all of the local people or as many as possible of the local people so the people living in the local villages so the people who are part of that reserve or live very closely to it and it gives them a vested interest in not only looking after the reserve and doing doing everything to support the reserve but for the 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 endangered species particularly the Bengal tigers to recover And Kana is one of those success stories where the numbers of Bengal tigers is slowly increasing. So getting local people employed and involved and having a vested interest in these parks is important because it gives them an income that they can then support their families. So although things like poaching will still have an attraction, it it kind of takes some of the edge off of that attraction. So that's one aspect of it. Another thing that's going on is um, the kind of work that's happening with EHRa in Namibia. So that's Elephant Human Relations Aid, and I spent a couple of weeks with them at the end of 2019. And what they're doing, there's a couple of practical things they do. Uh, one of one is to just track the um, the wild elephants. They're, they're, um, there's a population of um, African desert elephants in that area. And they just go around and keep an eye on them and make sure that they're healthy, um, look at changes in populations. So that might be um, some older animals dying. Um, it might be um, young animals being born. Well, obviously, they'd be pretty young if they were being born, but uh, you get the idea. So they monitor the health of that population just to um, make sure... They understand what's going on with it, whether it's it's growing, it's staying the same or it's it's getting smaller. So that's one thing uh, they do. The second thing they do in a practical sense and that I got involved with as a volunteer, is to just protect local infrastructure that the villages use. so the the particular job I was got involved with was finishing off um, a double stone wall, two metres high around the base of a water tower. And the idea of the wall, it was to stop elephants climbing over or get, getting inside the uh, the wall. The actual entrance was very, very narrow. And um, it just stopped the elephants knocking the towers down, which though the elephants can be very destructive. It's something um, to bear in mind. And um, th- they can cause a lot of damage. So uh, that's something that, if you have to live with it, can be a major problem. And for a long time in that particular area of Namibia, because the people had moved in um, after there'd been a a war in that area, and the elephants had moved moved out when the war started. So for a while, the people were there on their own, and a lot of them had never lived with elephants. When the elephants came back, which they eventually did, it created conflict between people and elephants. So one of the things the HRA is doing, in addition to protecting infrastructure that's been put in place by the locals so water towers solar power all that kind of stuff they're also educating the local people about the elephants about how to live with them and I've said this on um, at least one other podcast that one thing that surprised me was just how the local people regarded the elephants and it was with an almost supernatural fear and the, the reason was the elephant's believe it or not, can move very quietly because wild elephants will move across quite a large range. They can travel up to 75 kilometres in a night. So they can just appear, as it were, out of nowhere. And people are killed occasionally because elephants have quite poor eyesight. If they're startled, they might attack. And this, this certainly has happened on a few occasions and people have been killed. So it means that this... Sort of day to day living relationship between people and elephants is fraught with problems. But one of the nice things that's happened as a result of the work EHRA are doing, and this is one of the reasons why um, some of the money that comes from sales of my artwork uh, go to EHRA to provide a little bit of income for them. Um, One of the great things about that is that these local people are now beginning to regard the elephants as their own and they're beginning to feel quite protective of them. So basically, the more investment local people have in the welfare of the animals, the more likely they are to do things that will maintain the environment that the animals need and actually look after the animals themselves, keep an eye out for them. But it is very important that those of us who are in a position where we we live in wealthy countries, we live in, um, we have quite luxurious lifestyles, even if things are a bit tough. Um, most of most of us who are, would listen to something like this podcast are not in any real serious danger of starving to death if, if everything, you know, kind of um, worst case scenario. Whereas these people don't have that luxury. So tourism is a major source of funding for um, wildlife conservation through projects and also through general tourism uh, where where money goes through into um, conservation projects and obviously with COVID happening that pretty much killed tourism certainly in Africa and in obviously many other places too and that's going to take a while to recover. So right now, the, the situation is quite dire. And you'll see a lot of projects just simply asking for donations just to keep themselves going. And that brings me on to another thing. So if you do want to go and see animals, one of the things that I recommend to people is that you join a volunteering project rather than just go glamping or you know on a regular safari trip. And, and again, just to go over the reasons for that, First of all, I think you get a much better experience with the animals because often you're you're in an area that tourists aren't allowed to go, or or it might be a private game reserve, or it might be um, outside of a national park. But using local knowledge to track, um, uh, (laughs) I can't speak now to track animals in the wild. So you're not part of this circus that you often see in these bigger tourist parks where you could have easily a dozen four-wheel drives full of tourists trying to get to a pair of lions, say. something that I've seen this sort of thing before. And it becomes an absolute circus, and it's not enjoyable if that's your big trip, if it's your big chance to go and see these animals in the wild. It's not an enjoyable way to see them. Obviously, it puts a lot of stress on the animals, so it doesn't really do anything to help conservation. And... um, it's just not a very satisfying way of seeing wildlife. So volunteering can give you the op- certainly the possibility of seeing animals in a, a much less stressful and a much more natural um, environment sort of in- encounter. And The other reason that I like it is that it's an opportunity to learn a lot more about the animals themselves, about the challenges that are being faced in terms of their conservation, the realities of what it is like for these animals to live. Um, I've learned more, I think, through doing conservation projects than I have when I've gone on regular safaris. With regular safaris, you tend to get the tourist kind of spiel. It's the same stuff. And it's a bit boring. It's not always that accurate, in my experience, or some of the people giving this stuff are not that, passionate about what they're doing whereas people involved in conservation um, in my experience are very passionate about what they're doing and when that passion drives them to take a much deeper interest and have a much deeper knowledge about the animals they're working with and be able to convey that in a way that is very easy for most people to understand at least that's my experience with most of the projects that I've been involved with so that, that's a kind of key aspect of that. Another thing that you tend to get with volunteering is there's also interaction with the local people. And I think this is very important too because it helps to... It's, it's helpful to get a, a first-hand connection with the people who live with these animals and to understand in a different way the economic realities or just the realities of day-to-day life for them. And um, often... I've been to um, schools that these kind of trips often are, you know, they're not compulsory. If you're volunteering, you kind of do whatever uh, you're able to do in most cases. But I I do recommend that you take as much as you can in because we do live in a changing world and it's good to understand um, how other people live. And I think it also helps to by seeing how they live. It's easier to understand their perspective and why their view of wildlife conservation might be different to ours because their realities, as I've said earlier, and their priorities are are quite different. So really, they are the main things I wanted to mention. Um, There are more things I could talk about in relation to this, but I really wanted to just do a short podcast about wildlife conservation and make the point that the focus tends to be on the animals, primarily. Uh, there's a secondary focus on the environment they're in because obviously they they need to be able to live and they need a certain uh, size area to live with certain conditions in order for them to, to live and to thrive. But also to talk about the realities of life of the people who live in these areas. And this often, I find, is part of the story that is left out certainly by tourism and by um and i don't do many tourist trips now but the limited trips i have done there's it's what you get presented with is a, a kind of um idealized view of how things are and in fact the reality at least for the people is quite different and often um the areas where the tourists hang out are very different to where local people live so uh for example in um uh, Victoria Falls, the central part of Victoria Falls, the sort of just the highway through it where the bars are and the ho- main hotels and um, all the markets and things like that. The locals refer to it as Vic Vegas because it really is the dressed up part of town. It's the part of town that tourists tend to see it's and that's where they tend to stay. The reality, if you go a little bit further away, is very different for the people who live Uh, Just the ordinary people who live in these places. So, again, by volunteering, you will often get to see these places. Often, these uh, trips are arranged, not with every project, but some projects um, offer that so that you can get to see firsthand what day to day life is for a lot of these people. And then you begin to see, um, excuse me, how. It's important that money also goes into local communities and um, so that local communities and local government, regional government can um, also have the funding and the ability to uh, take steps to protect wildlife. Okay, so that that's it for this talk. I hope you found that interesting. I hope it's given you another um, perspective and I'll talk to you um, again in, uh, in, in another podcast. So bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is information available through my website and um, also on the uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.